podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yeah. Roll them. Sound, speed, action. Hello everyone, this is Colin Schindler welcoming you again to another edition of Football Ruined My Life. And this week, Patrick Barclay, John Holmes and I are joined by a man whose father played for Manchester United and won a league championship middle with them in 1951-52 season. He was the outside left. And his name was Harry McShane. And by a process of logical deduction, therefore, you will have worked out that our special guest on Football Ruined My Life this week is my friend and former fellow toiler in the vineyard known as Lovejoy, Ian McShane. Now, McShane is the real thing. There was a time in his youth when he might have become a footballer, but he chose instead to live a life of sordid vice and degradation as an actor. So instead of being washed up at the age of 35, he's still in demand and working as hard as ever at the age of, oh, let's just say he fits into the demographic of football in my life. <laughs> Am I exaggerating your footballing prowess, Ian? Or? I think you are a bit, yeah. I mean, I've always loved the game, but I play for like... The Manchester boys under six, under nines, whatever. I broke my leg when I was 11. I didn't play for about three years. And then I did a play at school. Not that I wanted to become an actor. I just had a teacher, rather, very luckily, who said, I think you're good at this, because I certainly wasn't that good at football. My dad wasn't one of those guys that pushed you into it. But I've always loved the game. And I went to school at Stratford Grammar School, right opposite the ground, you know. And I knew them all at an early age. And then my dad, when he finished his playing career at United, they chose to live there. He became like Chorley Town, I think he played manager for a while. And then he sort of was, he was fully loaded up with coaches and, you know, degrees and all that. You've done that. But he loved being at United. So he worked at Massey Ferguson. He was what you'd call now would be human... Human resources? Human resources now yeah, it would yeah, be called, yeah. yeah. And at weekends, he was the first DJ at United. And later, used to introduce all the players and whatever. And then... He was a scout. Jimmy Murphy and he became scouts in the last thing I remember. What yeah. was his relationship with Matt Busby like? Like most of the players, I think. Enigmatic could be the word, I think, you know. Like most good managers, you have to be ruthless in a way. Like Busby was in his own quiet way. But he got on with it, respected him. All the players did. Matt had a gravitas to him, mm. you know. Shankly was the same, except mm. Shankly was more... Oh! You know, more, I mean, passionate. But Matt was more reserved. But they both had that quality. Forged by being men, brought up, hard life, but knew how to treat men and were ruthless when it came time. My dad did go in and, you know, when she said, I said, well, what happened, Dad, when you went in the office? Well, it was his office. I had to get out sometime. And Matt wouldn't say, like, sit there going, anything else, Harry? <laughs> oh, well, it's good. It's nice seeing you, you know. Oh, have a great day today. What, are you playing golf later? <laughs> was he transferred against his will? Or was no, he was at the end of his career. But I've got to say, my dad was one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, I couldn't push it with him, but I loved him to bits. He was a, just a really good guy, mm. really, to everybody. Don't forget, he started the old boys at United, which he was still involved with. Yes. And I'm still involved with, to a certain extent, with Jimmy Elms and Alan Wall, yes, yes. who run it now. Yeah, yeah. But it's on its last legs, because footballers aren't with one club anymore. It's really difficult. But it's done a lot for old players. I mean, it's raise still a money. magnificent treasure. If you go to their oh, dinners, you get hundreds there. Patrick. And Ferguson goes... But they know that it could all collapse within five years, yeah. because Cristiano Ronaldo's not going to come back <laughs> for the reunions, is he? Oh, I thought, uh, why not? Christian won't come back? Oh, <laughs> I'm disappointed. He had one. 
It didn't work out. <laughs> in those days, teams were teams and they stayed together for a period of time, especially when they were successful. We've been doing this series and you can name various sides. Funnily enough, we did one with Burnley and we all of us named the side, the Burnley side. Yeah, uh, Blacklaw Angus Elder. Correct. Therefore, there was a much more of a community Absolutely, feel yeah, amongst the players. Now... Of course, they're moving in and out. They are much, much more professional mm. in that sense. And it's not a club any longer. It's a business entity, as we've found, which yeah. is the bit that we're really mourning that loss of it was your club. I still get it to a degree going to watch Leicester. And there are some members of staff who've been there for a long time, but it's nothing like the same. Different owners, owners who are not often there any longer. You might think about the Glazers, Ian. You're not a big fan of theirs. <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment on that. No, but it's the way of the world. I mean, I wouldn't say the other owners have been exactly geniuses either. Edwards, who I know quite well, Martin, I mean, he tried to sell the club for £10 million in '92. Mm. But I think the Glazers, they're quite happy to tootle along. I don't think they really... Want well, they've obviously they like United to win, but it's not the most important thing on their minds. As long as they're in the top form, they're making money, mm. they're taking their little bit out, whatever. That they don't have the same kind of passion you're talking about. The game's different, everything's different about it. Players are still the same, talent is there. A couple of years ago, you prided yourself on knowing a few foreign players. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, they come in from everywhere mm. and they're really good, aren't they? Mm. From everywhere, yeah. South America. Wherever. And they're really talented players. Mm, so I'm a, pleased for the game. On the other hand, it's like it, it'll become anonymous city because they'll just get moved yeah. around. Gone are the days. I know that Ian was a great lover of Eddie Coleman from the Busby Babes, mm. Snake Hips Coleman. He used to walk to the match over the cobbled streets at Ordsall, Salford, and he'd walk across the... Was it a swing bridge or something? Barton Bridge. It was Barton, Barton Bridge, that's right, to get to get Old Trafford. So he'd be walking along with the early members of the crowd together well you know you don't get that now it's all smoke they life. used to go on the bus in certain cases they went home on the bus oh, yeah. yeah they drank in the same pubs it was very much the community and i think about the previous owners louis edwards he at least went to the games he watched the games he had to walk in the streets of manchester and so on mm. these guys they're never seen i mean i'm thinking of a friend of mine who was a rugby player and played for england 30 years ago, England players would turn up to rugby matches, meet at Waterloo Station and bring your boots. Mm. I mean, really, that's how they'd turn up to go to international rugby matches. Yes. So, I mean, look at it now. The whole thing has changed. And thank God for the players. I mean, they deserve whatever they get. When somebody says, you know, they overpaid, it's such a stupid question. I mean, you can't Ridic- compare. That you can't, is, it's got that nothing is to ridiculous. do with your life. You can't say that. But the they still don't pay. make as much as the owners do. Thank you pay. very much indeed. Exactly. No. I can remember Brian Richardson at Coventry who tried to get the crowd against Dion Dublin because he was looking for a rise. Put in the paper, you know, Dion Dublin's being greedy. And the late Jimmy Lawton put yeah. article and said, on the whole, who would you rather got the money? Yeah. Brian Richardson yeah. or <laughs> Dion Dublin? And the crowd then reacted because the crowd still identified with the players. Owners of people... They buy football clubs yeah. in an attempt to be loved. Yes. And actually, no, the crowd don't love the owners. Very, very rarely do they love the owners. They love the players. Take the NFL, which is basically socialism for billionaires. Yes, right? yes, yeah. yes. We don't have it in this country, yeah. do we? No, we no. don't. But that's what they'd love to turn it into. 
That's what this is all. That's what this is all about. Yeah, about yeah. the European Super League. Yeah. In other words, nobody would ever be no frightened of losing a game yeah. or going yeah. down or yeah. coming up. Yeah. Choice or chance is completely eliminated. I'm reliably informed that the people who bought Blackburn, the chicken people from the Venkis, from the Venkis they were not told of the possibility that relegation and what it meant. And they sacked the first manager on the grounds that Blackburn weren't fifth because they thought they ought to be fifth. (laughs) And unfortunately, football clubs are looked at now by the owners as investments and not as it should be that they're curators of a heritage, which is what we as fans feel about our football club it's our heritage well that's what i would you know i'm a member of must you know and you get all the details they send you the email i read them or whatever i mean one of the saddest things i think i ever went to was when united got destroyed by barcelona was it 2011 yes it was. was it 2011 yeah. at wembley yeah. went to wembley and united had the ball for the first nine minutes and never saw it again i mean i was there with my wife because i got to alex i said i'm coming i'll be there but but I felt for the, you know, to watch the fans who were in front trying to G themselves up and they're 3 1 down and there's no chance. And I, I really thought, you know, being a fan, I mean, you know, it's really. That, yeah. oh, it was, Rooney scored a wonderful goal, but yeah. apart from that, oh, that no, was. But it was all, oh, it was messy. It was yeah. a great, that great, great, great team. And one of their greatest performances. And, as well, yeah. and uh, It was just one of those games. I just sat there going, wow. Mm. I couldn't even talk to Alex afterwards, but I mean, you. Again, you mentioned Rooney. It's interesting. Rooney never got the love of United. No, no. Never will, because he's still a scouser today, yeah, yeah, in a yeah. way. And he's a wonderful footballer, but he'll never be remembered. But again, I think the, the one person, the guy who I think was a catalyst as much as Alex was for that team of the 90s, Cantona. Yeah, yeah. And I met him a few times. What a guy. I mean, very rarely you get that kind of personality who can put his impression onto a field in that way yeah, yeah. one of those kids who loved him they paid about 1.4 million for him <laughs> they paid they? 1 million for him it's it was a joke. Yeah. he said they'll sell him it's, yeah 1 million I mean, are these were glad to get it there have been they, ones yeah. that went the other way, of course. Notably, Johnny Giles yeah. and Strachan, who was prematurely and Strachan ended up winning away. the league with Leeds before Ferguson won it at Man United yeah. a year before. But and, he was with him at Aberdeen, wasn't he? You yeah. see, the elastic had gone out of the knickers of that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the, it was the right time. Yeah. And it was good for everybody that he yeah. went to Leeds and was brilliant there as well. But Johnny Giles was... Like, he was a wonderful player. I mean, yeah. wow. But steel, the, but steel Matt within thought, silk. But Matt thought he was a winger, and he knew he was yeah, a midfield player. Yeah, he played him on the wing in the '63 yeah. Cup final against Leicester. Yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt played Charlton on the wing as well for quite a long oh, time. Oh, but he could yeah. do it. He could do it. Yeah. Yeah. He was quick when he was younger. Mm. Yeah. He had Tommy Taylor. I mean, that Man United side. And well, there's, none of us actually saw him play live. But did you see Duncan Edwards play? Oh, I saw Edwards play live. I saw him in did that. You? I saw him in that. Yeah, well, I saw him at the Real Madrid game. 55-56 when they played Real Madrid. Yeah, that's when I first started going. 56-57. 56-57, yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw him a couple of times. So he was on the same park as Alfredo Di Stefano. Well, yeah. well, I mean, you're putting that on me. Somebody will go back and say he wasn't in that team. Maybe in the year before. No, I mean, Duncan was 21 then. Mm. He was 21 in 57. Well, he was playing for England when he was 18. 18? Yeah. He yeah, was yeah, a powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. That Gordon Byrne book about Best and Edwards. There's a picture of George on one side. In 1965, when he's 21. Mm. And there's a picture on the other, I think, of Duncan Edwards in 1957, when he was 21. George looks like, you know, whoa, the, uh, the hair and the yeah, jaws yeah. and the thing, the tan and the plate. Yeah. And there's Duncan Edwards in a trilby, a raincoat and a pipe. 
And it's only eight years before, but um, the world had shifted. Correct. Edwards, he was that man-boy-man. One of the beauties of the United side at the time we're talking about was it fed from the local talent, which I think is one of the things that I admire about it. Do you think United have lost... I mean, well, it's not just United, it's every other bloody club in the world, but do you think something has been lost in football from the fact that... And they may be very talented, but if they come from Argentina or Eastern Europe, how can they have grown up with the myths and the philosophy and the ethos of Manchester United, which was so special? Do you think something's missing from football because that's gone out of the game? I don't think people are longing for that. I mean, we maybe think about it, but deja vu ain't what it used to be, I think. <laughs> it's all moved on. It's a... It's such a wonderful game when it's played. I mean, I thought City's performance, was it in the cup final last year? Who is it when they put on that performance? The greatest performance might have been the Real Madrid. Was the, the, the Real, Real Madrid, Real, that yeah, was yeah, it. Yeah, the Real yeah. Madrid, I was, yeah. in, I was one of those performances. You go, wow. They destroyed, they just destroyed. I've, it. Oh, they I've destroyed. never seen better football I'm, than I that. I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen better football. They took them apart. And Real Madrid, who... Full of great players, but oh, they were lost. They were bewildered. I think Guardiola's a step ahead of anybody. Yeah, I always have, actually. Yeah, yeah. As a player, he was not, wasn't bad either, you know. Ferguson reckoned that he went over to New York, where Pep Guardiola was having a sabbatical, took him out to dinner and sort of tapped him up for United. So just think, if he'd said yes, it would have changed Mancunian history, wouldn't oh, it? Jesus, I, you know, well... Yeah, but, you know, you've got to go back to... Alex left in 2013 season, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, after winning the And league. Gil left at the same time. Yes, yes. Which was a disaster. That's yeah. one of the real yeah. disasters. And then we had the era of, you know, Iwa Uwa, Edward Woodward. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fart in the back. Indeed, yes. Yeah. Because he made himself head of football. There's the difference between, you know, making your own mark and, you know, making a deep crater for yourself of a club like United, which I'm sure the knives are out. And who knows those directors the last few years? Because, you know, we know what directors are like. They're not interested in... I mean, they're not, basically. And I've known them all, on and off. You touched on Martin Edwards, Edwards Jr. For all the criticisms that were made of Martin, if you took... Even you took him on a, a Man United quiz, you'd lose. He knows more about Man United... He still goes to the games... And he stuck with Ferguson when the crowd wanted Ferguson out. Mm. I've sat next to Martin Edwards in the director's box. Yeah. Where they, they played Spurs. I think it was in the League Cup. Gary was playing for Spurs. Gascoigne was. Spurs pissed all over them, basically. Mm. People are spitting at him and all sorts. Yeah. Thought, this is not how I imagined <laughs> sitting in a director's box. And Martin, <laughs> we went down to the director's room and he said... That wasn't very pleasant, was it? And I said, well, no, it wasn't really. For all his faults, and he was naive when Michael Knighton came in, I found that quite extraordinary that this guy arrives from nowhere who no one's ever heard of mm. and says, I'll pay you whatever million it Ten, was. Was it 10 million? They well, he said yes, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. did. Now, Excuse I me, said, listen, he said yes. Listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you get somebody who comes and wants to buy your house... Your solicitor says to you, proof of funds. The estate agent says, proof of funds. Before you do that, they said yes, before they got proof of funds. They didn't check him out. They didn't do any of that. No. It's extraordinary. And Alex fell for that as well. Yeah, but yeah. having said that, I was there. It was against the beat Arsenal 4-1 opening game of the yeah. season. But what happened is George 
Graham was the visiting manager, and as usual, he was having a cup of tea with Fergie in the office before the game, watching football focus or whatever they do. Suddenly, in comes oh, Norman or something. He was called Big Lad. He was the sort of kit man. Norman, and yeah. He came in and says, boss, he said, this Michael Knighton, you know, who's trying to buy the club, he wants a strip, you know. And Fergie thinking probably wants it for his cousin or something, you know. As a, and he says, yeah, 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 give him a strip. Anyway, of course, it, everybody now knows he put the strip on. Kept the ball up. He was pretty good. He could could play. And he volleyed it into the Stratford end. And apparently somebody who was in Fergie's office said he he was like everybody else, just gaping at this. Well, I met him a couple of times tonight. I mean, he he was legit. didn't he? He was legit. Came to a supporters club thing. He was the real deal. No, I'm saying that they've always been open to sell it because 10 years later they sold it to the Glazers, didn't they? We won't go through all the other episodes of which (laughs) which we're too close. But I'm just sorry, uh, United, the last 10 years, and I'm going to say this, and this is no way a deflection of my admiration and deep friendship for Alec, but it is an enormous shadow that hangs in there because of his success and achievements, any manager coming in. And I've seen Alex lets it get on with it. He doesn't interfere. No. But we've talked but about. But it's very difficult because of this hole, because he's so. As Busby was. Well, that's for the point. So we, long. We, we talked about this earlier on, but I mentioned no your, other your club opinion. has this kind of thing, except Arsenal maybe have had it with. And then Wenger too long. Wenger, we, yeah. we knew that it was a mistake to let Busby hang on in the way he did when he allegedly retired. With uh, retrospect, but you would have thought yeah. the United would have learned from this. So, so the way they, they, not, they never they learn anything. What are you talking about? Yeah. It's the same in movies. Why would you spend $300 million on a movie? Indiana Jones, unless you have some other plot in it besides Harrison. This is no knock at all on Harrison Ford, who I'm very fond of and great. But making a modern film with somebody who the audience doesn't identify with in that sense, it's the same thing as Ronaldo coming back to United. What a dumbass move that was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a dumbass thing. To what bring one him did up. hear. But is it true that because he's going to sit here? That's and what I, heard. I yeah, don't absolutely. That for a second, do you? Funny, one of our fans of the football room in my life, David Fairholme, has written in and said, Why did Forrest, who were a good side in the 1960s, they got to cup semi finals, finished fifth in the league under Johnny Carey, they then completely fell apart under Matt Gillis, who actually was a very successful manager previously at Leicester. Yeah. And it comes down to the fact the chairman at that point, a man called Tony Wood, he said that he was going to make Nottingham Forest into one of the top clubs yeah. in Europe. So he went off and he signed Jim Baxter for £100,000, which was a hell of a lot yeah. of money in those days. And Jim Baxter was finished when he came to Forest. Yeah. He only made, in the end, I think... 40-odd appearances for Forrest before Matt Gillis was forced to give him a free to get rid of him. You say that now, talking about transfers, which is what the Arab League is now trying to do with like Benzema and all this, but they're only followed by the new line of support, which comes from social media. Yes. I mean, real football fans are not interested in that. They're really not. They're customers and followers. They can switch. They're not actually supporters. I mean, I never watched football for one player. Maybe now and again, but no, I George because I knew him, but I never watched football yeah. for one player. There were players, but they have to be sensational players. Well, Stanley and, they, and they have to and, be part and, of a team. You're and they have to yeah. be in the prime, and they also have to be part of a team. Yeah, exactly. The, the point I was making earlier, though, for a football club to be successful over a long period of time 
actually requires good owners as well as a good coach. When it's just the coach that is running the whole thing, mm. when that coach leaves, it falls apart, oh. like it did, as I say, at Forest. Look at Derby. Post-Brian Clough, they fell apart. Forest, post-Brian Clough, they fell apart. You cannot get it without continuity throughout the club. The great thing, and we've mentioned this before about Liverpool, was that continuity that they had from John Smith, who was the chairman, to Peter Robinson, who was the secretary, and to Shankly and Paisley yeah. and, uh, Joe Fagan. and Joe Fagan and Roy Evans. They were all there. It was only Kenny when that Dalgrish. started to break Shankly, up. Shankly, Liverpool weren't the main club until Shankly took them over. Correct. Everton were a bigger club. Yeah. You talked before, Ian, about Shankly and how fiercely impressive he was as a character, and he was. He would have had to be played by Jimmy Cagney at his most pugnacious yeah, if, no, if, if there was a film. But the one person he deferred to was Matt because they went back a fair way. And Matt's granddaughter told me a wonderful story when she was a little girl around at Matt and Jean's house. And the phone rang. She picked up the phone and she says, hello, or whatever little girls say. Hello, uh, is Matt there? And she said, yes, honey, I'll go and get him. A friend, you know, touches her. They're playing tig or something. She goes off running around. 20 minutes later, she realises she hasn't told Matt that this person who happens to be Bill Shankly is on the phone. <laughs> so she went off and she said, Matt, because she called him Matt. She said, Matt, there's a telephone call for you. And when he went to the telephone, Shankly was still there after 20 minutes. He was scared or too respectful to put the phone down on Matt. You talked about him being very hard. He probably yeah. wasn't as hard. No, he was intense. When he asked me about, how's the acting going? Yeah, yeah. Well, he'd be like that. He'd be as <laughs> How's the acting going? Yeah. He was like that about everything, you know? He treated football as his kind of socialism and Liverpool as his kind of socialism. Uh, anybody that said... The ball never gets tired. Deserves it, in my yeah. Anybody who said that is a genius. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the yeah. simplest and best things mm. ever said. Yeah. Ian, you knew both Matt and Fergie pretty well. Can you compare the two, compare and contrast? Not necessarily who is the better, but what the different styles in which they approach about, managers. About Matt? Matt was that enigmatic. He had that quality of leaving the training to Jimmy Murphy and ideas and whatever. And Jim, and they had a, a relationship at Peter Taylor and Clough. Oh, yeah. How do you know what goes on? You don't. Watching people working together, how, if it's successful, it's like Guardiola. You look at the players he buys. Mm. They're not players that other people go for. Why did he buy Kovacic from Chelsea? Because mm. he looks like a Serbian hard. He's my killer in midfield. Yeah, but he's technically a beautiful player to yeah. watch. Yes. He buys him for a specific reason. This other big centre-back he's bought, Gvardiol, whatever. Yeah. You know he's gone in the manner of Rodri and those other terrific... Well, see, hard... Rodri was probably not the most wanted player in no, Europe. No, exactly. But you know, Colin, you've talked before about Matt and Ferguson. I mean, you could talk forever about the similarities and differences and so on. And I think one of Ferguson's great achievements was to recreate Matt to recreate Manchester United in the image of the Matt Busby's Manchester United. That was great. I think he understood the heritage. He understood the heritage. And, of course, when he started at the club, one of the people who would put his arm around him would be Matt himself. He used to tell the story of when he'd go into Old Trafford as opposed to the cliff, you know, the old training ground, yeah. that he would go in... And if he could smell the pipe smoke from Matt going in past their little foyer thing, and Matt's office was on the first floor, I think, 
And if he could smell the remainder of the pipe smoke, he knew he could go up to Matt and say, listen, because in those early years, things were not going smoothly. And Matt would say, you know, don't worry and, and do that. But one other thing that's never talked about a lot about Fergie re-Matt, we talked a moment ago about Jimmy Murphy and the similarity between Murphy and Busby and Taylor and Clough. You know, the two together were unstoppable. But Murphy turned down job after job, didn't he? Including the Arsenal job. Whereas all Ferguson's assistants were lured away. Brian Kidd, for example, you know, all, the, all of them. McLaren. McLaren, another perfect example. Ah, oh, the were, umbrella. Were no. lured away, yeah. They, with the brolly. they were lured away by people who thought a bit of the Man United magic might rub off. Yeah. And so Ferguson constantly had to change his assist. His, his he recycled. Voice, which Matt never had to do. I think managers who, like Guardiola, who do almost everything, yeah. they need to have a change of number two from time to time. Because otherwise, you know this yourself, you do a job and you do it for a long time and you're the only person talking to those staff. They need a fresh voice. Mm-hmm. You get bored mm-hmm. with it, they get bored with it. And I think Ferguson was clever like that. He wanted to switch it over. Clough never did the coaching. Clough left that to Taylor, and he left the getting fit to Jimmy Gordon, and he had other coaches along the way, Liam O'Kane and so on. I think that's more the modern way now. It's not managing like it used to be. Apart from anything else, the managers don't recruit the players now. They may say, I want a right-back or a centre-forward. The chief scout or a director of recruitment goes off and gets one and then says to the manager, do you want him? They've probably never seen this player, but they have to watch videos. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, who's ever watched a video of a player playing badly? It's uh, a showreel. They a never have a compilation of the miskicks. Correct. They? Shortly after I was chairman at Leicester, they recruited a manager from Scotland who might have been quite a decent manager, a fellow called Craig Levine. Yeah. But... Yeah. I smoked a rat when he said at one point, no, no, he said, we don't need scouts anymore. We can watch videos. And I thought, Ooh, no, 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 you no, do. no, no you I've not seen that. too many videos of players playing badly. And <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, he made some really, really bad buys. The only way of scouting was the old way. And, and Ferguson Correct. did this, even when he was at, as late in his career yeah. at Manchester United, burning the motorway. Correct. And you come back at 1.30 in the morning, but you're seeing the player playing away at Darlington, getting beaten 4-0, then you'll see the player. And also, you don't see them You also videos. see the whole pitch, Paddy, because if you're looking at, it at television, you only see what the camera eye sees. So you can't judge a you midfield player. You can't see what's happening on the other no. side of the pitch, which is frequently as important as what's happening with the ball. We talked a little bit earlier about Matt Gillis. Matt Gillis' name came out. Matt Gillis left the coaching to Bert Johnson, who was his number two, mm. who had been a friend of his in the army. Yeah. Matt Gillis was often not at the game on Saturday. He was in Scotland right, scouting. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't regarded as unusual then. To go back to talking about Matt and Alec, Matt had that group of youngsters come through, the Bosby Babes, and in a sense, so did Alec with yeah, 92. And you can't plan for that. You've got to be some kind of luck's going to be going on at the same time. Correct. You get five players from the academy yeah, that yeah. go straight into the first team. Yeah. I mean, that's extraordinary. And then you had the genius acquisition, for whatever reason, of Cantona, the older guy who found his spiritual home at Manchester United. All those kids looked up to him and they became this incredible, unstoppable force. What was the name of the youth team man? Eric Eric Harrison. Eric Harrison. Oh, yeah, Eric. Yeah, Yeah. who recruited all those kids. Now, how on earth you get that collection of kids at the same time, 
all of them really good players. And at the same time, you had Beckham's sort of immediate social rise yes. with his relationship with her, which added, of course, onto it, the celebrity thing, yeah. and became that. And when he left... When did David leave? 2004, 2005, yeah, around four, there. Yeah, went to yeah. Madrid. Yeah. Yeah. I think he went to yeah. Madrid. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had that whole interest, and the whole game seemed to shift, and then it became more European as the 2000s went on. We were never that European before then, you know, were we? No, no, no. No, no we really no, weren't. No, no. We really weren't. It, even well, our years. players didn't go abroad. Then you had start. Thierry Henry and the whole Arsenal yeah. game. You had the influx. And then you have black players being taken seriously yeah. for the first time, in a sense. We yeah. have one or two players. Yeah. yeah. You had the wonderful Laurie Cunningham, wonderful player. West Brom, right? Yeah, he was going to be a huge star, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was a wonderful wonderful player. player. Played with Real Madrid, yeah. Yeah. Justin Fasnou, of course, was subjected to extraordinary homophobia. Horrendous homophobic abuse whenever he played. By Clough. Well, by Clough. By Clough as well. Yeah. But again, we're dealing in a different time. How did Clough think that was going to improve him as a player? What a ridiculous thing to do. Well, it was different times. In those days, you know, just as alcoholism, instead of being a serious illness, it was treated as a sort of laddish habit in the same way that being a homosexual was considered some kind of deviation. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Something you could be cured of by being bullied. Well, Ferguson came in and cleared out the alcohols from United, didn't he? Well, apart from Robbo, but I don't think think Robbo was He got rid of a brilliant player He was just a a phenomenal drinker. Yeah. Brian? Yes. Wonderful player. Yes, Mm. great player. Well, that leads me to the next thing about when they talk about the number sevens of United. You go through Brian Robson, Beckham, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mason Mount. <laughs> See, I'm sorry, but it's the iconic number. Mr. Mount is he's a very fine he's player. A good this, player. At yeah. this level, they're all great players. Yeah. And, and, this and level, it's all because. Fine. But so, come on, you pursue for that amount of money? You pursue a well, player? For City, it's number eight because it's Colin Bell. And for Newcastle, it's always the number nine because yeah. of Jackie Milburn and yeah, Malcolm yeah. McDonald. But they do become iconic. That one they, number, That's absolutely. the number United. Yeah. Yeah. The seven, yeah. that's yeah. the iconic yeah. number And previously, United. of course, the first that? example was Johan Cruyff. Wasn't Beckham number 14. Who's that? Johan Cruyff and number 14. Oh. And the way that Ajax retired the number. Yeah. No one has ever played again David, with 14. David Moyes tells a lovely story. He was very much a fringe player at Celtic. And they played... Was it Feyenoord in the European Cup? And David was playing because whoever was the main centre-half was injured. Afterwards, there was a mad scramble for the jerseys, but David, not wanting to push himself forward, ended up with one of the substitutes' jerseys, which happened to be 14. And Cruyff... Was this, so he's got a Cruyff jersey, and it... I mean... But Cruyff, again, when you go back to a player like that, that Dutch team? The Dutch mm. team the destroyed England. Yeah, and I Adams, have very rarely seen a player orchestrate a game oh, like Cruyff exactly. did that's that what game. I mean. He was. Like Cantona, he would direct a game. Yeah. yeah. But I told you, seeing that 1970 Cup final in Mexico, the Aztec Stadium, mm-hmm. watching my favourite player, a player called Gerson, just, yeah. Oh, yeah, who yeah. came on in the second half and put a cigarette out as he rolled <laughs> <on> the <desert. laughs> I swear to God, they came out and go... He, he was, was a chain smoker, but that he side, was a chain smoker. We can all we can all name that. Side but but that player, but that team. When you River, I mean Jesus, Riverlino, Tostau. Mm. But if you talk about the influences, and going back to Matt, as we were, we're talking, about, his favourite international team 
and this was before the 70 Brazilians came along, he may have changed his mind later, was the Hungarian team that won at Wembley in 1953. And that's what I think the Busby Babes were based on, that that, style of play. Well, I watched that with my dad. And Puskas' goal, when he pulls it down in one movement, it was like... who was it who ended up on his arse? Billy, well, Billy, Billy Wright. Wright. Billy Wright. Oh, well, Billy Wright. I mean, come on, he frequently on his arse in that game. And that was Jeffrey Green ranting about saying that going, as a well, fireman going to the wrong team, fire. My God, yeah. Puskas, Hidaguti, Botsic. Yeah. That Hungarian team is one of those sort of, you know, yeah, yeah. hold your hands up. The coaching that happened in England in the 60s yeah. was related very much to the influence that that game had, yeah, particularly the, the on people like Alisson. Alisson, But you know, I mean, look at, look at the players in England in the 60s. You had some, Tony Curry, how many England caps did he get? About <laughs> half a dozen, I think. Yeah. Then you go to Chelsea. I mean, that Chelsea team had, what do you call, what's the Hudson, great... Hudson, Hudson. Hudson. Alan Hudson, what a player. And you, the Osgood next, wasn't bad either. Yeah, and the next one you're going to mention is Frank Worthington. Thank you, Stan Frank Worthington. So, I've had some fantastic... And Alf played. didn't like any of them. No. <laughs> they weren't reliable, the way Roger Hunt was reliable. No, they were, bought, they were greedy with the ball. Yeah. No, they just wanted the ball all the time. I, I was I, amazed at Frank, Trevor Francis the other day, the little short shrift given to him. One yeah. of the great fucking players. Yes, and was. Obviously a lovely guy, I never met him. But he was, he was always injured. He just, he was, what? He was always injured. But he was a, a lovely, as you say, he was a... He came across as nice a class man. guy. He was, a bit soft. Class he, was a, he was also a bit soft. To be absolutely honest with you. A little I knew, bit. I knew Trevor... Quite well, not well. as a player. We he played was, when he was he, 16. He, he was, was a very good he, player. When he was when very he was young, he was yeah. a good player. And it was difficult because, first of all, he went to Birmingham, which was the wrong place for him to go to. Clough, <laughs> and this is another example of Clough wanting to actually have a player under his influence. There was an occasion where Trevor Francis won Midlands Player of the Year when he was with Birmingham. It's been on television a lot, and they asked Clough to present the award. And Trevor came up, and this was before Clough signed him, and Trevor came up, and he was a little bit nervous and so on, and Clough then went, now then, young man, take your hands out your pockets. <laughs> Famously. Of course, that established where the relationship yes, was. Yes, yes. That was Clough intimidating and getting the player under his control. We- Ferguson, similarly, when Beckham became too big, if you like, when the showbiz mm-hmm. bit took over... He wanted him out, didn't he? Ferguson wanted to sell him to Barcelona. Now, I know, because I was a wee bit involved at that point, we Mm -hmm. looked after him. We said, no, we're not going to go where Ferguson wants you to go. Where do you want to go? And he said, I'd rather go to Real Madrid. So we said, if they want to sell you, you should go where you want to go, not where the club wants you to go. Uh We've all heard stories about, you know, in the era we're talking about, players were hauled in. And the manager said, I've sold you to so-and-so. Oh, yeah. There was no argument no. about it. You just went there. I think Francis Lee, I think I've told the story, that Francis Lee didn't know who he'd been transferred to from Bolton Wanderers until Bill Riddy dropped him off yeah. the main road. Yeah. Francis Lee had a guy called Freddie Pye. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What a character he was. <laughs> what a character, yeah. Who said... There's money in muck, you know. Then they had recycling businesses. That's I thought it was. Freddie. Was he in, um, at Altrincham as well, Freddie Pye? Yes, Altrincham FC, was, yeah. I think yeah. he might have yeah. been. Ian, as we start to think about wrapping up, I want yeah. to ask you the question about which is your... You've seen every United team since the team that won the FA Cup in '48. In your opinion, which was your favourite? Not to what was the best, but which was your favourite of all the United teams you've seen? Your favourite team? Your oh, favourite the team. the law of best Charlton. Okay. That's when I grew up into it. 
And then Dennis, I knew. I still see Dennis when I go up, you know, when mm. I go up there. Mm. And Bobby, I mean, I've got a picture of me and Bobby when I was like, I don't know, I was 11 or something. He was 15 in the, mm. the Stratford End. Well, United bought mm. Dennis in 62, I think it was. Yeah. For £115,000, which was a huge amount Massive of money. In, in, in those and everyone thought, oh, it's because United are so rich. United didn't have two beans to rub together. They virtually put themselves in a hot they for did. ages they to, did. The, to the, pay for The for club was in a fragile state because of that fee, but Matt was so sure. That was his fourth attempt to get him, because he tried to get him when he was at Huddersfield, when he was 18. He tried to get him from Man City. And, and then he got him from Torino. And he finally got him from Torino, from Torino. you know, after mm. tapping him up at, a, at an international... Who was your favourite player then, Ian? Came from my dad, who told me before that he thought George Best was the best footballer he'd ever seen in his life. Yeah. He's fearless. Mm. He's brilliantly talented. He can score goals. He can play anywhere on the pitch. Did it bother you I, that Bobby Charlton said of him, if you give the ball to George, you never get it back again? That's that not his... really true. That's not really fair. I think Bobby, Bobby in full flight is the most beautiful footballer I've ever seen. Flashing down with that hair and the yeah, legs. Yeah, no, yeah. But a beautiful, well, a beautiful athlete to watch. Dennis, because Dennis isn't tall. What's Dennis? 5'9", 5'10", yeah, he was the most. Be, yeah. Yeah. Could soar above yeah, anybody. Yeah. And lethal. But football's, you're born with that. Yeah. And watching the other players in that team. What about Paddy Crerand? Paddy, you know, the fastest gun in the West. <laughs> no. S- slowest gun. No, Paddy, yeah, but Paddy's still the same. I mean, I've seen I saw him a couple of years ago. Paddy's gift of passing. Yeah, That's it. Yeah, yeah. Vision of the game. Apparently, Matt said to Dennis, we've got a chance of signing either Jim Baxter from Rangers or uh, Pat Grerand from Celtic. And he said, of the two Baxters, slightly the more talented because Baxter was phenomenally talented. Yeah, phenomenal. But signed Paddy Crerand, because yeah. Baxter will, will yeah. cock up. They didn't know? need that player yeah. then. No, yeah. Pine Crerand, what they needed. Can a team that had Jim Baxter and George Best in it? You mean in terms of, could they get into a drinking contest? Well, that was... let's say the Manchester bookmakers and publicans would have, <laughs> would have, dearie me. George just could never stop drinking. Dennis still gets tears in his eyes, talks mm-hmm. about George. You know? George, I mean, hadn't got a mean bone, not no. a mean bone in his body. But his mother was an alcoholic. He definitely she only became, she never drank until he became a Is star at right? United. No, she no. never drank. No, I didn't that know. was the thing. She started when all the publicity, and right. face it, he was the first pop star footballer. Yes, yes he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. He truly was. I mean, he was as big as the Beatles. Yes, yes, yes he true. really was. I mean, you think of it. But he was a really sweet, sweet oh, yeah. no, he was a lovely guy. And smart. Not stupid. He finished at 26, you know. I mean, That's effectively, his career amazing. was over at 26. Amazing. Can amazing. you think of what he might have achieved in the next 10 years? Sadly, he never played in the World Cup, of course. And he probably never would have played no. in the World Cup. No. So yeah, George would be the second best player never to play in a World Cup. After? Di Stefano. Di Stefano. Stefano. Alfredo. Mm. What a player he was. He came to Old Trafford, and I don't know if you saw the game when he played uh, and dominated, or when they won 3-1, Real Madrid. Well, I'm saying that's the game I think I must have seen. I've, I've, I've got, but he, when they ran out on the field in that all-white strip, yeah, and everybody and went... it was a dark night. And, they, and they, uh, sort but of they like, looked like they'd just been on a, you know, in Cannes yeah, for yeah. two weeks, <laughs> suntan, glamorous, <laughs> slick back hair, and then United came on, all these pale punkers <laughs> in, you know, red, looking pale and... Bad. You <laughs> talked about the picture of Duncan Edwards... And George Best. Yeah. And, of course, what did happen in the meantime, we've just talked about it, 
was the Beatles. The Beatles. The Beatles changed everything. Larkin's poem, you know? Uh, yeah. The sexual revolution came a little late for me <laughs> yes. between the Lady Chatterley Band and the Beatles' first old <laughs> yeah. The world changed. The world had changed. Absolutely. On its outage, and that's for, an, not, not first... for another day. So, can we say thank you very much? Liverpool, one twelve thing, the person I played football with and realised that I was never going to be as big as him when I was nine years old was the last person transferred from Manchester United to Liverpool. Phil Chisnell. Phil Chisnell. Very good. Yeah. Phil. He was a very good age. player, very technically brilliant. He was a brilliant. terrific player, yeah. but when you're eight years old, Phil was the same as me, and you go, I see, well, I think I'll choose another profession. <laughs> got the lovely lad too, Phil. Yeah, there you go. Thank well. you very much. Anyway, what we want to say at this point is thank you so much to Ian McShane for his memories of Manchester United and his current feelings of Manchester United, which haven't really changed over over 70 years that you've been watching the club. It's been great having you on the show, Ian. I love the game. I mean, thanks for asking me. I had a great time. Lovely to meet you, Patrick, and you, John. Thanks to Patrick and thanks to John. And thank you all for listening to Football Ruin My Life and we'll see you next time on the next edition of Football Ruin My Life. But if you want to let us know... How much you dislike us all, or all like us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at footballruinedmylife at gmail.com. So thanks for listening. See you all again next time on Football Ruined My Life. Cheers. Podcast Network.